everyone, welcome to season two of Behind Woo! the Animal. I'm so excited about, you know, this season. Um, I do feel like our last season ended abruptly, and that's because I do too much, too much. Kind of dealing with, you know, fellowship applications and interviews, as well as like residency life. Things got a little bit crazy. However, we are back and we are back with a vengeance. We are super excited to bring you season two. And there's just so much that is in store for everyone. But for this episode titled The Silence is Loud, I actually have somebody that I've been begging to be on this side of the podcast for such a long time. So before she goes ahead to introduce herself, I do want to just say a couple of things about, you know, this amazing guest. Her name is Dr. Ramasami, Shobana Ramasami. (laughs) I remember meeting Shobana as an intern and we just clicked instantly Um, through our residency. She has been companion someone I confide in. She's so wise. She cares deeply about her friends, her patients, everyone around her. She is a force of change. I am so honored to call you my friend, Shobana. Um, And she's also the editor of this really great podcast. And so I'm glad to have you on this side. Dr. Ramasami, Shobana, go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh my gosh, Adesol, I'm sweating, I'm teary, I can't even go on. I think this is the end of the episode. No, Thank you so, so much. Oh my gosh. And first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's a little scary to be on this side of things, but here we are. Uh, I think in keeping, (laughs) keeping in theme with some of the other speakers you've had, I will do my little one-liner. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm, you know, twenty something internal medicine resident. Finally, in my cohort, (laughs) my generation. Uh, I am interested in primary care, trauma informed care, and medical education related to health equity and social advocacy. And I am very proud to call myself a friend of Adesola here, who is the real change that we need right now. So, anyways, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Bindo, how's your week going? The week's going good. You know, just finished a general internal medicine inpatient wards. Love okay. it. That's This is, you know, my dream. There's always the challenges, obviously, with, with a, a service like that. But it's been amazing. We've had some really good learning, you know, medical diagnoses, but also just some really good conversations with patients. And our patients mm-hmm. have been awesome. Just have really, really enjoyed it, honestly. What about you? How's your week? I need to tell you a story. <laughs> Oh, okay. Ready. I've, I've been at the VA, which is just a different experience. I loved it. I had wonderful patients as well. Um, actually, this is the first time I felt like I I really truly enjoyed the experience and the patients that I was taking care of. But I, I currently have braids on, right? And when I take it down, it's as long as like my hips, basically, really long braids. So I was going to see COVID patient. This afternoon, I had just stepped out of the COVID patient's room. I was taking all my gown and everything off. And I feel what is like a shadow behind me. So I look back and it's this lady and she's just like following me. Okay. (gasps) And I was just like, can I help you? Oh, she's like, your hair. It's so pretty. It's so long. Mm. Where'd you get it done? (laughs) How many hours? And I thought she was going to touch it. And I was just like, ah. It took me seven to eight hours. Can you please stop following? 
Yeah, it's like, please step back. Oh, no. Anyways, no. I, at least she didn't touch my hair, but I thought it was a very, very interesting story. This is the most ridiculous thing that happened to me this week, and I just had to share it. I was like, this is this is actually... The this personal is, space. Fun. It's the violation there, you know, of the personal the space. Shadow. Yeah. Behind me. You know, I don't even know. Have a warning, like, hey, I'm, I'm behind you, you know. <laughs> you know, it, it literally was just like, someone has been following me for a couple steps what what is going on yeah it was it was it was it, it was creepy but i i, I laughed about it i'm just like oh. but yes guys braids take a long time they are long they're pretty you know and i change my hair often so this episode we're actually going to be talking about you know something called the silence is loud this is going to be a story about allyship and the importance of allyship um and hopefully we can leave everyone with some actionable steps moving forward and i don't know if you had anything to kind of talk about before we went ahead and kind of started out the whole segment i i think allyship applies to every single person and uh you know part of our challenge as just individual people is finding out how we can be better allies in whatever situation we are and so maybe that's just the only thing i'll start with all right so i will share a story um and before i share the story i do want to say that I hold zero, none, zilch, ill feelings towards anyone. I think this is a, the only reason I'm sharing the story, the reason I'm sharing the story um, is this is a great learning opportunity, I think, for everyone. I want to share a story of, about something that happened to me now a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had just celebrated my birthday and it was my birthday weekend and I had gone out with a couple of friends. And after our initial event, a couple of us decided to go to a bar. Now, Adesola does not go to bars because <laughs> Adesola is primarily a homebody. Like, I'm one of those extroverts that actually love spending time alone at home. <laughs> so, we, so, after this event, we go out to this bar and the music is bumping, okay, to me. It's 2000s music, so I know it. I don't know anything yes. about the baby or anything like that. Like, the, it's, it's bumping. <laughs> I think there was only ever one song that the the DJ played that I thought was probably more popular amongst the Black community. Um, but otherwise, it was great. It, I was having a good time. And being the homebody that I was, it was like 12, and I was like, oh, I need to go home. Mm-hmm. But shortly after, probably about 12.20, I remember the DJ stopped the music, and he said, you know, I've been DJing at this bar for three years now, and the manager just came up to me and said that I should change the genre of the music because there are too many Black people here. Mm, 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 mm. No. When I heard that, it caused me to pause, as I think is the appropriate response, or several responses that you can have as a result of that. But for me, I paused, um, and then, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to leave. And so I came to this um, event with, or to the bar with, a couple of my friends. There were four of us in total in that squad, and then two people joined in, of which one was somebody else's birthday. So we all walked out of this bar. And as soon as we step out of the bar, maybe a few minutes after we step out of this bar, the conversation was, well, maybe we should go somewhere else. And for me, who I just physically emotionally you know was affected by the statement that was made i think in my head i just couldn't wrap my mind as to why 
we weren't acknowledging what had just happened. Right. So I started like, you know what, I'm going to go home. I didn't vocalize any of these things, but in my mind, I said, I'm going to go home. And me and somebody else in that group ended up walking to our cars together. Me and this other person had a conversation about what had happened, which actually ended up being very therapeutic. I remember getting to my car, calling a friend and trying to talk about these things. So basically, that's the story. Okay. The reason that I wanted to share the story and also the reason why I picked the topic of this episode called Silence is Loud is really want to harp on how loud that lack of comments or lack of um, that silence essentially is when uncomfortable situations happen, when someone is discriminated against or there's an act of injustice happening and people choose silence and how that silence in itself can actually reverberate. So that's my story. Uh, Arasola, I know we've talked about this story before, but I just want to say I'm I'm so, so sorry that happened. I'm I'm not going to lie. I think, you know, I've certainly found ways to move past it. Sometimes, not often, it lingers. Um, It has given me certain confidences in certain situations that have arisen. Or Again, important enough story because there's been – a good amount of times when things have happened in a hospital at work when things are just not said and I'm just left feeling uncomfortable. Yes. Do you think it would be good to kind of give some definitions before we kind Absolutely. of move in? I got one for for allyship. And this is from the Anti-Oppression Network. It's one of my favorite definitions. The Anti-Oppression Network defines allyship as an active, consistent, arduous practice of unlearning and reevaluating in which a person in a position of privilege and power seeks to operate in solidarity with a marginalized group. Mm. There are so many pieces to that definition that I think we can highlight. For me, the part I just want to highlight is that it is it is active mm-hmm. and it is arduous. Like this is not a process in which you are expected to be perfect, that we are expected to be perfect. And also to say that it's not about being a savior either, right? It's it's really about being the process of seeking to learn and affirming. I think that's a big piece, right? It's affirmation of the experiences of those individuals who are being impacted by that moment. Do you feel like there are any pieces in that definition you connect with, Adesola? Oh, yes. I think this time around, I wrote down some of the key pieces with like the active, the arduous, you know, yes. consistent. But I think it's the unlearning and reevaluating is the part that has stuck with me. I say this. So I grew up in Nigeria. I talk about Nigeria like every day of my life because compared <laughs> to what is going on in the country, I have a lot of Nigerian pride. Yes. I think yes. part of that reason is, you know, I think we are a very successful group of people. We're very loud, we're very boisterous, and I just love being Nigerian. But I grew up in a country where literally everybody I saw every single day looked like me, you know? And I never questioned whether or not things were, you know, attainable. I never had those thoughts for myself. And when I moved to America, um, suddenly there's a huge emphasis on what I look like and I'm in the recipient of a lot of comments and a lot of, you know, unfair criticisms and those sort of things. I personally had to unlearn 
you know mm. i had to relearn there was a whole lot of reevaluating that i had to do for my own self and i think that in a sense you know that's why i um i really relate to that because in order for someone to be an ally there's a whole lot of like unlearning that you have to do because what is status quo for you may not be what is status quo for people there's a new reality so you have to unlearn you have to reevaluate um and so i think that's essentially what really sticks out to me with that definition and i think you know it's very key for me yeah and i i agree with that i you know, you know, I grew up in the South, you know, I grew up in the South. And so, you know, there were parts of it that I loved. And then and there were parts of it that, you know, were hard, that were challenging. Mm. And I think that that process of unlearning and relearning for me, reevaluating, re I should say, for me happened when I sort of moved to the Northeast for a lot okay. you know, part of my life, too. And just kind of seeing the difference in the ways that our communities, in other words, a variety of communities of color were existing in an American space. And it very much taught me to unlearn and reevaluate the way that I was existing in an American space based on what I had seen early on. Uh, and so I agree with you. Every opportunity we take to move outside of our spaces that we exist in are opportunities for the learning and the reevaluation. I think I think you, you bring up a good point in that, like, you know, there's this through our, our entire lives right there's we've had to constantly change our frame of reference because you finally get to a point where i mean i didn't grow up in this country i can make some assumptions but i think like the overall sense that i get is as you've grown up you realize that you now have maybe a voice you can finally like advocate for yourself because you've learned what is right and what is wrong but I guess like in the context of the story, kind of let's try to make this relevant to our audience because a lot of people in our audience are in medicine. Can you think of some examples, and I can go first if you want to, can you think of some examples in the workplace where you've experienced some, um, you know, microaggressions, microaggressions, um, and you felt like, wow, somebody should have said something and somebody didn't say something. Um, I can go first if you want me to. That sounds um, I can think of two examples. One was something that happened recently, right? I was on consult recently and I've been seeing this patient um, circle back with the patient with the rest of my team, my attending and the other fellow on the team. Patient starts asking us, you know, where are you from? I say, I'm from Nigeria. And he says, wow, like your English is really good for being in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everyone's just like, okay, well, you're going to colonoscopy tomorrow and just like walk out. And I mean, to some people, it might be like, what's the big deal? But I feel like I've been a recipient of that for such a long time that, you know, sometimes I want to say like, you know, we speak English in Nigeria yes. and I wish that my, you know, but when there's hierarchy, you wish that somebody else off the chain will say something and nobody did anything. The other example that probably is a little bit more profound was, you know, I was in the ICU a couple weeks ago now, and a patient came in with diffuse alveolar hemorrhage. The reason he was causing, he was having this hemorrhage was because he had an autoimmune condition. Autoimmune condition was called something previously, but the name had been changed because whoever it was named after was found out to be a Nazi. 
Okay. So one round and we're talking about this patient. The nurse steps in and she said, hey, you know, why don't we call it this condition anymore? And the attending then gave some background history, you know, changes. And this nurse is like, but we're in the South and we are okay with slavery, right? We're okay with slavery. And I'm standing there, I'm just like, why? I mean, maybe she was joking. Maybe she wasn't joking. Either way, this is inappropriate. And I'm not the audience for you to be, you know, joking about those sort of things with. And, you know, I could tell my attending was uncomfortable. I could tell the team was uncomfortable, but nobody said anything. Nobody said anything. And, you know, we're finished rounding and that patient, we walk away. And, you know, two people come up to me and be like, oh, so I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Which I really appreciated that people came up and said something. Yeah. But there are some examples of things where I'm just like, hey, let's figure out ways to now start talking and not allowing minorities, people in like the, you know, I don't know what the word is, like people that are historically disenfranchised, those sort of things yes. to just continue to be the recipient of things that really we shouldn't really be receiving in 2022. Because, because that's kind of that's kind of the thing, right? Like the goal is that people who are, as you mentioned, in historically disenfranchised groups, you know, whether that's sexuality, whether that's race, whether that's ethnicity, nationality, any any of the above and all the things that I have not listed there. Mm-hmm. It's the goal is that each of us should not have to carry that burden alone, right? Like it's supposed to be an equitable platform because that's the only way to make the experience of being in medicine an equitable journey. You know, otherwise we're all carrying different levels of burden and that's where we get this, what people have called, I've heard people call it the minority tax where you're carrying, right? The cognitive load, the minority tax, you're carrying that extra load and you're doing it on your own. It feels like, you know? You, you bring up, I mean, you're, you're saying all the things. I think, you know, as a minority in the hospital, I told you the story at the beginning of someone, like, following me about my hair. Yes. Everybody right. constantly paying something. You're constantly paying tax, and Uncle Sam is not going to refund you, you know? Right. <laughs> so, and so it's, it's kind of like, you know, even me, like, approaching this lady that was just, like, lurking in the backgrounds in the shadow, I'm like, why are you following me? Mm. You know, has been ways that I've tried to start, like, standing up for myself um, and now wanting to, you know, equip people with the tools to, one, be, you know, active, arduous, yes, members of the... Consistent. <laughs> yeah, I should be in medicine. Let's make the tax less. Yes. Decrease the minority tax. Okay? <laughs> yeah, Help exactly. us. Have you had any instances like at work or in life in general that you just kind of want to share about, you know, times when a silence was just reverberating? Yeah. I can give two examples. I think one also happened in the ICU, oddly enough, but um, okay. it was team rounds. And as we know, when it's team rounds in the ICU, it's usually, you know, a group of 25 to 30 people that Jeez. we round large groups. <laughs> And <laughs> we, we tend to, you know, move in large groups. And I remember that particular day we had gotten to a patient's room and the nurse for that particular patient was having a conversation with one of the other residents and said, well, why don't we just ask the pharmacist? And then turned and looked at me 
out of this whole group of people and said, you're the pharmacist. Right. And looked at me expectantly. And so then I'm in this moment of overanalyzing myself to say, is there something about what I'm doing or how I'm acting that makes me not look like the role I am or not look like all the other residents on the team? And essentially, I sort of was like, oh, no. And we all kind of moved along to the next room. I think, you know, that's a small moment. There are other moments to think of. But I think it's an example of sort of like, here we are in this large group of, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm exaggerating with the 25, but it's 10 to 12 at least. And you really be feeling like a thousand, though. (laughs) Right. It feels like a thousand. And I think this concept of microaggressions or Mm -hmm. feeling like wanting an ally is about not feeling othered. That's mm-hmm. what it comes down to, right? Like, I'm one of you, you know, in that team, right. I'm one of you guys. And, yeah. or, you know, I'm one of them is kind of the idea. And how do I, and and so that's where we talk about that minority tax a little bit more is that it's, yeah. am, what do I have to do to show you that I am one of them or I am one of us? Yeah. You know, so that's one example. I think another example that stands out to me, this was not in a team setting, But I remember I was looking around for someone to help me get into the supply closet. Yeah. And somebody who who works on that floor, I'm not sure what role they played. They stopped me and they were like, you know, who are you? You know, Mm -hmm. what are you what are you doing? And then I was like, oh, I'm just trying to get into the supply closet. I didn't kind of clarify. And she was like, but what who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm a resident. She goes, you're a resident. What? I was like, yeah, I'm a resident. She goes you need to dress more like a resident. What? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And mind you, I'm wearing scrubs. <laughs> I'm like, you know, scrubs on top, scrubs on bottom, what? <laughs> which is the, you know, uniform. And I turned to her and I think I, that I'd had enough, I guess. And I sort of turned to her and I was like, what do you mean? Everyone is wearing scrubs. All the doctors in the hospital are wearing scrubs. And she's like, I don't, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta dress more like a doctor. Oh my God. And I remember just looking at her and, you know, we'll talk about this later on in the episode, maybe how I approach moments like this microaggressions Mm. now as I'm older, but I just paused because I didn't know what to say and walked away. (laughs) You know, I walked away and I'm laughing about it now because it's almost like the sort of absurdity of it. You just wouldn't, I don't think people would talk about, talk like that to really Mm. anyone, right? You just- You should dress so, more like a doctor. Oh my right. gosh. So, well, so mind you, I still wear scrubs. I've decided not to change my attire. Okay. But um, I think those are two examples to me that have stood out in the past few months uh, mm. of many, just like you're saying, where it's it gets a little tiring to start proving like, yeah, I, I do play this role. I belong yeah. in this role. You know, I I am not other. First of all, I am so sorry that happened to you. Thank you. And I I also don't like that that's such a common statement. I'm always telling people, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But genuinely, I'm really sorry that happened to you. I mean, what was she expecting you to wear? When I think about all these, like, microaggressions that happen, sometimes when you're alone, sometimes when you're a group, you know, and you brought this up again with that minority tax. I don't think the burden should fall on you you know i almost don't like all the emotions that arise in me when someone says something that is offensive because i'm just like you just couldn't you shouldn't have said that you know and 
it's upsetting too because I've had situations kind of like you gave, you know, the example of when someone inappropriately identified me in a group and nobody said anything. It's like, well, I'm one of you guys. Like, why don't somebody mm-hmm. say something, you know? Yeah. And so I want people that are listening who are, you know, in positions of power to stand up for, you know, their. I don't want to use the word subordinates, but people that are also lower in the hierarchy, in the hierarchy, lower on the totem pole, mm-hmm. speak up for them in these opportunity in these times. Like they need. You said something, and I kind of want you to talk about this. When you allow patients, or when people say inappropriate things, you welcome the silence. Can you talk about that? I, sorry, <laughs> maybe yes. jumping, I maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but no. we're gonna talk about ways to kind of help like tools to help people succeed, how to become a successful ally, those sort of things, um, and how to also acknowledge these uncomfortable situations. So go ahead. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm no expert at this. I'm learning. And I know you, you and I have both talked about this, how we're in that process of growth and just mm-hmm. trying to find ways to be good examples because part of our journey, each of us is trying to make sure the next trainee coming up under us learns what allyship does look like, you know, and so that becomes our role now. So, you know, when I was an intern, I was horrible at dealing with microaggressions for myself. You know, I was just, I was silent, you know, Mm -hmm. whenever something would happen to me, it was really more of a shock. But as I've grown, I've really become comfortable with the idea of creating space through silence, which can be uncomfortable. So the example mm-hmm. I would give is, for example, I had a patient who would who said something I can't remember, but I had to correct them and say, no, I'm the doctor. And now when I do that, I used to say, no, I'm the doctor and kind of like move along. Let's, you know, just kind of tell you your info. Now I say, no, I'm your doctor. My name's Dr. Ramasamy. And I pause. And I let that simmer for just a brief second. And I know for a lot of people, that's like, that is very uncomfortable. But for me, it's sort of like, this is our moment, right? This is our moment. The patient, me, both of us in this moment are growing together. And I'm going to mm-hmm. give you this moment to ask. If you have a question about that, please ask. Yeah. You know, if, if you have un- discomfort with it, please ask it. But I want to acknowledge that this is a moment that I don't want to necessarily happen to the next, mm-hmm. you know, doctor who you meet that looks like me. I think there's this whole idea that historically you know, men ran this spaces, okay? I want people to also realize that we're so in the spaces too and we are appropriately here, you know? I don't want the assumptions to be, you know, if a female doctor walks in because of a double X chromosome, you have to be, you know, less than the degree that you've earned. And I think it's worth, you know, acknowledging that, you know, I have had one situation where a nurse, I said a nurse, a patient, um, in a group of doctors, you know, walk into a patient room, group of doctors. I was a new face because I was jeopardized. So that's when they call you in for a shift that you weren't originally scheduled to do. So I was jeopardized for this shift. And this patient is just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to let my nurse. And he points at me, you know, do something. And the attending was just like, she's a doctor. If it's just, oh, I'm sorry, you know? And yes. it was just like, it was one of the first times I ever have it. And someone spoke up for me, wow. you know? And this is me just like, wow, I'm just not speaking up now because I love this feeling. It's good wow. for me, 
Okay, it's good wow. for me. And so now I, I, I echo what you're saying. If I walk into a, into a room and a patient says, oh, you know, I'm the nurse, I'm the care partner, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm your yes. doctor. And I'm going to, I'm going to steal that from you. I'm going to pause afterwards because I just talk so much. <laughs> but that is, that is extremely powerful what you're saying too, because well, first of all, when you think about how you felt after a, that moment, which it was a microaggression, but having an ally step in in an appropriate way, I mean, can talk, talk a little bit about how you felt. And I think, you know, we've kind of hit a couple of this point where a lot of times when these things happen, no, nobody says anything, you know, sometimes, you know, the higher ups or other people like not like know that something bad is happening but they just don't want to like say anything in the moment you know and so that was one of the first times i believe someone said something and it was just like wow you're advocating for me you could have said nothing you could have just like been like a lot of the other people i worked with but he made it a point to stop this patient and correct him and then the patient like knew that he was wrong. And I think that also will go a long way in correcting the stigma that women are not historically doctors, right? Mm -hmm. If you confront patients with like this in incorrect data, hey, this is your doctor, like, oh, okay, that's good. Yes. And then sometimes people are like, oh, well, you're a doctor. I like women doctors. I'm just like, yes. okay, so why didn't you say that in the first place? But you right. know, <laughs> right. no, no, no. Right. It, made me, it made me feel so happy. And also it set the tone for what I expected other people as things moved along right that's amazing um i think there's this one thing that happens um when microaggressions happen especially if you're the minority or you're the recipient of it where it's kind of like did you guys hear this yeah you know you kind of want people to validate what's happening and then you bring it up let's say let's say a patient says something inappropriate someone says something inappropriate and you're the one yep. that picks up on it and then you guys step out of the room and you're just like, did you guys see that? Yes. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, yes, that happened. You know, so being in that situation, just kind of go back to this. Being in that situation, I didn't have to bring something up for once. Yes. I didn't have anyone acknowledge the microaggression that I, you know, I didn't have to like bring it to your attention. You picked up on it and he right. said something. And that was very, I, I still think about it till this very day. And it's very, very heartwarming for me. That that's amazing in so many ways, because in addition to what you're saying, I, the only thing I'll say is that it almost that sounds more like a team, too. Right. Like mm -hmm. we talk about medical teams. That's what a team looks like to me is is people who are standing up for each other. You know, we I'm not a huge sports fan. I'll just say that right now. But right. But you see those team sports and that's what makes a great team. And I that's how I really imagine. I think when I came into medicine and I'm sure this is the idea, mm -hmm. we all are kind of in it with each other. That's sort of an example. And it, I'm so sorry, first of all, that that was the first time that you had had someone stand in because I'm sure you have had many medical teams and we've already talked about how you've experienced many microaggressions, you know? Yeah. So I think when we think about team teamwork, it's not just about how we get our workflow going. It has to, we also have to think about how are we protecting each other? How are we advocating for each other? Because that is what gets us through a rotation or, a, you know, whatever hole it is feeling like we're protected. You know, almost kind of bringing it back to like the original story. Yes. Um, when I kind of think about just different pieces of things that happen, and I guess we can then kind of talk about 
who is an effective ally and how to become an effective ally, which I think we're already talking about, but to kind of like summarize everything, right? So in that silence that happened when nobody talked about anything, I personally started questioning, well, like, am I, am I overreacting? Am I unreasonable to be upset? Mm. You know, when I got to my car, I called my friend in the West Coast and we kind of talked about it. And, you know, the next day I woke up again with that, like, man, did that just happen? Did this just happen? I tell this story to kind of also paint a picture of the tax that people are feeling when, like, things are happening. Nothing as blatant as what I experienced, hopefully, in the hospital. But, yeah. you know, I just kept, you know, perseverating on this issue. And I ultimately called my medical school roommate, who is a Caucasian female, and I said, hey, let me just run this story by you. And I ran it by her, and she was furious. And it was, like, for the first time, almost 12 hours after this event had happened, you know, somebody was having the response that I was hoping, um, I was hoping, you know, to get um, the night prior. And I necessarily know if I want people to be walking around the hospitals when bad things happen to be like screaming or shouting or, you know, that's not what I'm going for. But I do think that there is a certain level of comfort in, you know, being a minority that comes when you feel like other people understand and acknowledge your struggle. and just asking like are you okay mm. in some safe spaces suffices mm. and i think that was just a piece for me that i was missing and yeah. you know i ended up having a conversation with a friend and we kind of talked about it about how you know how we unpacked everything afterwards yes. but again if you're in a position where you're seeing something happen asking people if they're okay actually could go like a really long way mm, that's huge. So, i guess how can we be allies shobana what's what's the key because i feel like in certain yeah. situations right like i'm also an ally to like i want to be a better ally in life in general yes we so all, how can that we all this is tough this is tough right because the question we're asking is how do we build capacity to recognize our privilege that's like the big deal question. That's mm. the question we have to ask ourselves every time we walk in the hospital, right? Or in mm. life, everywhere we go. I think one piece that I want to say related to what you just brought up is keeping in mind that micro invalidation is a type of microaggression, mm. right? So one is micro assault, which is just a straight up attack. You know, a patient refuses your care. A second one is micro insults, which is those are those subtle remarks that start demeaning you. The third one is micro invalidation. And that is specifically kind of this idea. It's almost like gaslighting. You're negating a person's lived experience. You know, that's when you'll get a person saying, are you sure that happened? So that that thought process that you were having of like, am I even was this something that I noticed, you know, mm -hmm. which. I, we each have those thoughts after microaggressions, right? Mm. If you're aiming to be an ally, being very aware in those afterward conversations about not invalidating, right? Because the emotions and the feelings are real. They are 100%. valid. 100%. 100%. And so that process of understanding that, yes, these like micro insults or like micro assaults, those are forms of microaggressions, but so is a micro invalidation. So mm -hmm. number one process of being a good ally is being 
a good listener and do not invalidate, affirm. I think the next part, especially if we're thinking about medical allyship, medical allyship can be applied to life allyship in general. Okay. There was, I got to bring up this study because someone just sent me this paper. And I think we talked about this before. It was a qualitative study out of UCSF. All right. So they take a focus group of 44 medical students. Okay. And they specifically survey these students about allyship and microaggressions. They also acknowledged, which you, we, you and I have already discussed, which is that nobody's perfect. Sure. No, nobody is expected to know how to intervene effectively in every scenario. I am perfect. I have no flaws. I'm just <laughs> that's correct. That's right. That's right. Excluding no, you, Edison. Very no, no, no. I'm imperfect, but continue. Excluding you, but they what they actually really appreciated were attendings who did pre-rotation discussions on this. So that's one thing, and I will tell you, I have a real life example of that because when I was at the VA, a young attending sat us down before the start of our rotation and literally had the same discussion. They were like, mm. hey, I am a white male, straight white male in this hospital. I am in no way going to know what all microaggressions are happening, but I want you to know that I am here and I want to be an ally and I want to do better. So mm. please help me do that. I love that. And that made, you know, that made a whole world of difference. I don't even remember because it was a while back. I don't remember if we took him up on that, but I do remember feeling like, all right, this is a safe space and this is a mm. team. I love it. Is always think about a debrief hmm. always think about a debrief and i know adesola you have told me about moments where you have had to create those debriefs for those situations girl girl <laughs> you know and i wonder how how do you think you would have felt if someone else initiated that debrief and said i felt something off here hmm. you know would that have made a difference Oh, that's a really good question. In life, I think I'm always this person that's kind of like, even within my friend groups, um, when something uncomfortable is happening, I'm always the person saying, okay, guys, this is an uncomfortable situation. Let's talk about it. You know, one thing I realized is that in as much as it's something that probably comes easier to me, I really do want other people to take that challenge, you know, that Take, take the ownership in, the, in, in leading those conversations. And I ultimately think that in the story that we led with, had someone even acknowledged how awkward, you know, or how awful the experience was, you know, it, will may, it, it would have made me feel better. I think what happened also was that as I was walking back to my car, me and this other friend talked about it. So there was some type of debrief that was happening. So that was good, you know. Mm -hmm. However, you know, if you're in this group, you guys all go out together. You guys all claim to be really close friends. You know, we're all celebrating birthdays. Like, that means you're in my inner circle, you know. And I really genuinely believe that, you know, debriefing that wasn't prompted by me would have been very, very helpful. Mm. If you're not going yeah. to confront the situation, and I understand there's certain situations where you don't want to confront the situation say something to the person that was affected like say yes. something right one thing i am fortunate for though is that this experience has allowed people to grow and learn 
and realize hopefully that silence is not the answer and that when the opportunity presents itself again in the future because inevitably will maybe never to this degree you don't have any excuse to not take the right steps mm-hmm. that's what i would say i like yeah. that a lot what what have you learned along the path that you think makes a good ally um well i have a couple things that i wrote down yes a good ally okay please i think you know you brought up a good um you brought up a good point earlier on interest is privilege um for me on my list what i wrote is do your homework okay an yes. ally takes the time to read listen watch and dip in understanding right, right. Life is a, we're constantly learning. We're constantly learning. You may mess up, okay? So far as you don't call me with this, I'm here to save you type um, yes. situation. You're not coming here with like the savior mentality, which some people actually yes. do. Come in humility, do your homework. I think you have to educate yourself, which again is kind of piggybacking off this homework. If you're, whatever community you're trying to be an ally to, everybody within that community is not a monolith. Mm. You're a member of the black community. Adesola OJ's experience is very different from Katrina Ebony White. Right. Okay, it's different right. from somebody else. And so just right. knowing that we just aren't the same, educate yourself. I think yes. that'll be very um, helpful. And something that we've been saying here is say something. If you see something, you know, say something. Yes. A lot of times, again, that comes back to the education um, and, you know, doing your homework to be able to pick up on some things. But when you do, just say something because silence is just not the answer. No. Right? Accepting feedback. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes I mess up. Yes. And, you know, I think it takes a very humble person to be like, wow, I messed up. How can I learn? You know, take the feedback. Constructive criticism is good. So take yes. feedback. And one thing that I hadn't talked about, too, is in the entire story um, and in trying to debrief with my friend, one thing that was brought up was that, you know, I didn't have a strong reaction Mm. or strong negative reaction or a reaction of some sort to the event. And that may have precluded people from seeing things. And I do want to bring up the fact that, you know, everyone's reaction or lack of reaction in the setting of blatant racism, microaggression is valid you know so don't use someone else's reaction to kind of gauge what your response is going to be again heart back to if you see something if you hear something go ahead and say something because again you're going to reduce the tax that person has to pay and i think for me those are the things that make um a really good ally I really, really like those. And I, I want to piggyback off that last one to say being being emotionally aware. You know, we often get honed in on like, okay, we're looking at the patient, we're answering the questions, but we do also have to be aware when we come back to the team room, how are our teammates, how are they existing, yeah. right? How have people changed? If in the morning they were having a great time and you see them after rounds, they are not communicating with you. There is something that happened there. And I think Mm -hmm. that goes back to this idea of like, not what's wrong with them, but what happened to them? Exactly. Right. What happened to them? It's okay to pull them to the side. I can say, hey, are you okay? Yeah. Exactly. to, To a point you brought up earlier. So I agree. Emotional awareness that people are going to react to scenarios differently. And so when you see a person just acting maybe differently than how they did an hour ago, you really have to wonder what changed. Something happened. 
And it may not be medical. It may be something's happening outside in their personal life. And that's just something we need to keep in mind for the big picture. But especially when we're talking about microaggressions, part of emotional awareness. Yeah. I like this. I I think I've told you this story before, you know, emotionally, I think because I'm this extrovert and I'm this animated person, there is this like expectation that people can read my emotions like off my chest. And I think, or people can just read my emotions. Yes. And I've gone through a lot of very heartbreaking situations in my life. And I just, you know, for example, when my dad passed away, my older sister, whoof, could not hold mm-hmm. herself together for Jerusalem. Okay, she was just mm-hmm. mess. My older brother, my older brother, my brother, only brother, who's younger than me, um, mm-hmm. had a different reaction. My little sister had a different reaction. I was just calm, you know. So I think in the face of really strong emotions, I don't. I'm not as animated as people think. Right. But I don't right. have to explain myself to you, you know, like, right. I, don't, I don't want to be explaining myself to people. I, I just think if you do your homework and, you know, you claim to be an ally, you know, there there's opportunities for allyship is not in just the word. You don't get a badge and be like, I'm an ally. It's how you do it. It's in the action. Right. This is an opportunity for you to show support and be an actual ally. And so not going off of people's reactions but going off of going off of what actually happened mm-hmm. i think is always going to be key and will be the thing that serves people best in the long run mm-hmm. it's constant it's a constant journey and it's we right and we are imperfect beings to your point we are going to have moments that we falter and i think t- the the gracefulness and taking it with humility and learning that is part of the growth as well i don't think there's i don't think there's more to say you know, I have to tell you, I got to tell you this quote that I saw, which I think you would like, that Please fits for this episode. Okay. Okay. It, okay. So this is from Aboriginal activists back in the 70s in Australia. Okay. okay? And the, the quote is, if you have come to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. All right, you know we got to end this on a fun note, though. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm All right. right. I'm trying to think. Should I use the same question or should I come up with a new one? Mm-hmm. Just do what your heart desires. What does my heart desire? I just feel like I don't want to give you something with J. Cole, though. That's just a problem. Okay. What is your favorite memory of Nashville? And do you think it will be enhanced by J. Cole's presence? Well, let me answer the second one before the first one. And the answer is yes. Okay. Going back to the first one. Let me see. My gosh. There are a lot of good ones. There's a lot of good ones. Okay. That's hard. Top three. Top three. Okay. So one moment that's coming to mind immediately is the listening room, going to the listening room with a few friends here in Nashville. If you haven't been, have you been on a solo? I haven't been. That place Honestly, anytime I've been there, and that was recommended by our program director actually on my interview day. So oh, wow. way back, that was All a recommendation. Right. Yeah, and so okay, I, I <laughs> and I uh, I went and I've gone a few other times. It's amazing. Okay, amazing songwriter. So that's got to be one. There's a lot of good food ones. Okay, of course. I mean, our Bollywood nights are on there. <laughs> it's got to be those three: Mu- music, food, and and our Bollywood nights. I would put those three on there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about hmm. you? You gotta get. You gotta get one. 
or two I or three. One. I think, honestly, my favorite memory of Nashville, and I've been thinking about this because now I'm all emotional because people are leaving me. <laughs> I think it really is just truly the people that I've met here. I, you know, in a place that I never really saw myself coming to, you know, things just kind of happened for me. Um, I'd be really fortunate to meet amazing people like you. And, oh you know, I've got to end the sappily. Well, and I should add a second part to your question, which is, do you think the experience would have been enhanced by Reggae John Page being here? All right, guys. I'm in love. Okay. <laughs> if you guys, any of those listeners, if you guys know Reggae John Page, call <laughs> after girl. <laughs> Gotta go. That is the PSA today.